Welcome to the July 2018 edition of the DebtWire Middle Market Podcast. Over the past few months, some business development companies, or BDCs, have been receiving approval from their boards of directors or shareholders to take advantage of recent federal legislation and reduce their minimum asset coverage ratios from 200% to 150%, effectively increasing maximum leverage from 1 to 1 to 2 to 1. Aries Capital Corporation, the largest BDC by market cap, recently received approval to do that. Today, we're joined by Megan Neenan, Managing Director with Fitch Ratings, who covers business development companies, to talk about what this means for BDC's own credit outlooks. Thanks for joining us, Megan. Thanks for having me. So we'll get right to it. Um, How does Fitch determine its ratings for a specific business development company's debt? Sure. So there's a lot of things that we look at when we're thinking about rating a business development company. If I think about some qualitative factors, we certainly think about the operating environment, which uh, has been a hot area of discussion recently because it's a very competitive underwriting environment, as a lot of you know. Um, We've seen you know, underlying portfolio company leverage tick up, spreads have compressed, covenants have weakened, and terms of conditions have generally loosened. And so we have a negative sector outlook for BDCs uh, for that very reason. Um, but beyond that, we look at the company profile of a BDC. So what's their franchise strength? What's their business model? Which really speaks to what kind of access they have to deal flow and what their competitive positioning is. We also think about their management and strategy, so how deep is their bench, how large is their infrastructure, um, what are their strategic goals, and how have they executed on those goals over time, Mm -hmm. and then their risk controls as well. So we think about what their risk appetite is and and how they're managing that. And then we certainly look at some financial metrics as well in terms of what their credit performance has been over time, what their leverage target is and how they've managed that, what their earnings and profitability have been, and then how they're funding themselves and how they're managing their liquidity. So all of those factors um, play into how we think about ratings for business development companies. Got it. I mean, is there anything more specific you can say about the differentiating factors between um, specific different BDCs when rating their debt? You know, how, how we would compare and contrast individual BDCs? Sure, absolutely. So Aries Capital is our highest rated BDC at triple B flat with a stable outlook. They have been around the longest. They have a track record starting back in 2004 and so have been around through a financial crisis and, and a cycle, uh, one, of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest cycles we've ever seen. And so they have a very good track record through that cycle. Um, and they've generated cumulative net realized gains on their portfolio since inception, which is very unusual for the space. We also think they have a lot of scale, which, which provides some flexibility and operating um, leverage in the business. They also have a very deep bench of people. Um, and, and so they have, in our view, have, a, have very good access uh, to deal flow and so aren't being kind of adversely selected from a deal flow perspective, which does play into their credit performance over time. And from a funding perspective, they're 80% unsecured funded, which we think gives them a lot of funding flexibility. A lot of our other coverage in the space which centers around double B plus, triple B minus ratings, have been around for for not as long. So a lot of BDCs cropped up since the financial crisis because we saw some opportunities in the middle market space and, 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 you know, banks and some other constituents pull back. And so it was an opportunity for BDCs to really grow. And so for those BDCs, we don't have a view on their underwriting acumen through a cycle because they've been operating in a very benign environment. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to... um, 
you know, to make a call on how strong or weak their underwriting um, prowess is. And, and some of those some of those BDCs will not have as, as big of an infrastructure, perhaps won't have as much access to deal flow, and so could be adversely selected. Mm-hmm. Some have had issues with energy exposures and concentrations over time. Some are more secured funded than unsecured funded. So all of those factors really play into the differentiation of the ratings in the sector. Got it. So other ratings agencies have downgraded BDCs as, as a result of uh, pursuing this lower asset coverage. Um, why do you think this is, and, and what's Fitch's view on this? Sure. So Fitch has decided not to take just a broad kind of swath and downgrade the space as a whole as a result of the passage of, of the Small Business Credit Availability Act. We think that that there that there is some room for some BDCs to increase their leverage in exchange for a reduction in the risk profile of the portfolio. I think we've all been very lucky for a long time in some ways in that we were given this one-to-one limitation, mm-hmm. um, which is relatively low compared to obviously other finance companies and banks and, and other companies more generally. Um, so now that they're ticking up potentially to two times as a max, it's still relatively low compared to other finance companies um, for sure. Um, but we're trying to take um, uh, you know, a more thoughtful view and more thoughtful approach uh, to how some of these BDCs may decide to take advantage of the increased leverage capacity. So, for example, Aries Capital has come out and said um, you know, they've received board approval to increase their leverage. They have, and, and so our view is that they will have um, some incremental reduction in, or incremental, excuse me, improvement in the risk profile of their portfolio as they take their leverage up. Mm-hmm. But still their target, their new target is 0.9 to 1.25 times. So still generally um, re- relatively low and will con- maintain a fairly uh, meaningful cushion to their asset coverage requirements. So BDCs, because they have to mark their portfolios to fair value every quarter, need to make sure they have cushions that are sufficient um, to account for those valuation movements to make sure they're, they're not tripping any kind of covenant. And so we are certainly taking that into account and expecting there to be some improvement in the risk profile of the portfolio to the extent that leverage ticks up uh, above historical um, historical targets. Um, is that something that you saw Aries Telegraph or, or that or their management telegraph, or is that something that you kind of ex- extrapolated from other, in, in other ways? Well, I think that they've been talking about that for a long time. This mm-hmm. bill has been in the works for for years, um, and so I think that has been one of the primary uh, components of. of why the bill would work is that, you know, they felt that they could reduce the risk profile and and move up market and have just less volatility and earnings for the BDC sector as a whole. Um, I think some will do that more significantly in terms of rotating their portfolio um, into more first lien loans, for example, and reducing, you know, exposures to equity investments, for example, um, and other um, subordinated debt. Um, I think Aries, in our view, has a bit more flexibility, just given their track record and their market position, um, where others have a bit more to prove, I would say, on the execution front. So Apollo Investment Corporation, for example, we put on negative outlook recently as a result of their plan to go uh, up to 1.25 to 1.4 times leverage. They've had some some more um, execution issues in the past with, with their strategy, and so we want to see them execute on that strategy and really rotate the portfolio into a lower risk position mm-hmm. as they take up that leverage ratio. Yeah, so it's, as you were saying, it sounds like track record um, is, is really counts. Um, what are your expectations on how, you mentioned this, but what are your expectations on how BDCs will adjust their strategies um, now that they have the freedom to increase leverage to two to one? Um, 
what do you think they'll follow in this uh, area, more conservative uh, approach that you expect from Aries, or um, do you, could there be a range? Sure, I think there will be a range. Um, I think we're expecting certainly the ones that have the higher leverage targets. Um, I think we would expect to move more heavily into first lean positions. Um, so, so certainly if Aries is at 1.25 and Apollo is up to 1.4, you would expect some differentiation in terms of the, the portfolio makeup between those two, particularly as you're moving to the upper end of those targeted ranges. Um, so we do think that first lean exposures will increase as a proportion of the portfolio, um, but we don't think everyone will take advantage necessarily of the increased leverage capacity. I think others will like their strategy, um, have nichier strategies um, that that they uh, want to continue to pursue mm-hmm. under the current leverage construct. Mm-hmm. And going back to something you touched on earlier, on recent earnings calls, we've heard BDC managers talk about erosion in underwriting standards, more covenant light loans, more EBITDA adjustments. You know, and this is something we've been hearing from them for quite for quite a while now. Is this something you look at, and how does this factor into your ratings? Absolutely. Some of the BDCs publish some of their underlying portfolio company statistics on a quarterly basis, which we definitely encourage and I think investors appreciate. Uh, But we do get that information confidentially from the BDCs who don't report them publicly. So we do monitor how underlying leverage statistics are moving over time and how they compare to the broader peer group and also how they compare just to um, the makeup of the portfolio. So all else equal, first lien, you know, underlying leverage should be lower than those uh, invested in second lien positions. But we also look at average EBITDA levels, and that, that certainly plays into it as well, because I think some BDCs will, will be more active in second lien spaces for um, larger companies with larger EBITDA balances. So it's something that we're definitely keeping an eye on. For those that look to increase their leverage, we would expect underlying portfolio company statistics for the portfolio as a whole to improve as they move up the capital structure into more first lean positions. So we would expect leverage, for example, for the underlying portfolio to to come down as they rotate that portfolio, and that will help support the de-risking of the portfolio. Um, But it's hard to say what impact some of these some of the migration in these statistics will have from a recovery perspective um, because we just haven't seen um, any disruption in the credit cycle as a whole. So that's something that is a little bit more worrying and is certainly playing into our negative outlook on the sector is what does this do once you see some disruption in the markets um, and you start to see some more non-accruals? Do these weaker underlying metrics impact their ability to recover their principal on some of these investments? Interesting. Yeah, I, they would certainly stand to reason. Um, and you know, especially if they if there's uh, they they further lever up those um, those assets. Right. Exactly. Um, and just to wanted to follow up on something you said. Uh, you get access to specifics on things like um, covenants on specific credits or EBITDA adjustments on specific credits, or is it more? Um, kind of broadly across the portfolio? We can dig down pretty granular mm-hmm. um, at the BDC level. So uh, most of them have been very open with us on that front, definitely. What are your thoughts um, on some of, you know, we often see on specific credits, or, you know, a, a loan marked at, you know, 90, 95, close to par, and then a, a quarter later, it'll fall, it'll go down um, sharply. Um, you know, what do you think? It, do you have, is this something you see a lot? And you know, kind of to follow up on that, um, how much 
faith do you put in the, the marks to market on a quarterly basis on specific credits? Yeah, it's hard because it definitely is more art than science. Mm-hmm. But we do talk to the BDCs about their back testing, and we look at fair valuation back testing um, over a variety of quarters. So, you know, if there's significant movements, um, particularly if they exit an investment at, at a significant you know discount to where it was marked just the quarter before, we want to understand why that is. Um, there's certainly BDCs, uh, multiple BDCs that may be involved in the same loan and the same tranche, and those could be marked significantly differently. Mm-hmm. And so when that is the yep. case, we ask those questions. And oftentimes, I think it's because the different BDCs have um, different positions within those tranches. Some may own more senior tranches as well, so perhaps have board observation rights or access to more non-public information mm-hmm. than the other BDC, and that could lead to some different um, valuations of the same loan. Um, so we definitely talk to them a lot about that and understanding how they're thinking about their valuation process and how they're back testing it, because that feeds into confidence from a shareholder perspective. So mm-hmm. to the extent there's more volatility, um, that that's going to lead to more questions um, um, from shareholders and, and um, creditors. Makes sense. What are uh, as we as we come up on uh, the next earnings season? What are some important points to watch for? Um, as uh, BDCs start to report their earnings? Sure. So I think non-accruals is always something that we keep a very close eye on. Um, For those that have had some energy issues in the past, there's still some of those lingering around. So definitely want to see some updates on on some of those positions. Um, To the extent that there's any uptick in non-accruals, want to understand what's driving that. And then another key thing certainly is just on um, the portfolio yield. So I think there's been some discussion that, that, you know, spreads are stabilizing in the space. We've seen a lot of BDCs cut their dividends over the last couple of years because as yields have, have come down, that's, that's um, led to an inability to cover dividends from a net investment income perspective. So mm-hmm. I think some of that's tapering off, but to the extent there continues to be some spread compression or you see some BDCs change up the mix of their portfolio, that could certainly lead to some more situations where some BDCs are under-earning their dividend. And to the extent that continues as a trend, then they really need to think about you know, maybe taking that dividend down. I think it's just we've seen a lot of waivers uh, from management fees and on incentive fees. And, and so that, that's nice for now in terms of helping uh, BDC cover their dividend, but can't be done in perpetuity probably or unless it's made permanent, uh, mm-hmm. which some have done, but want to understand uh, uh, how, that, how that's trending and how they're thinking about those things as well. Yeah, well, to your point, uh, to your point of, of yield compression, at least anecdotally I've been hearing um, that maybe that's taking a breather while the pressure is more on um, – some of the underwriting standards that we were talking about before. But to that point, do you have any expectations or thoughts that we might uh, uh, be hearing um, more from BDC managers in the upcoming earnings calls about how, about strategies with regards to uh, how they plan to implement uh, increased leverage strategies? Sure. I think it will be definitely a topic uh, from, from the investment community. They'll get the question, particularly for those that have already gotten board or shareholder approval. Mm-hmm. I think investors will want a little bit more detail about how they expect to implement that and, and um, what their conversations with their lenders have been. 
since uh, bank facility covenants prevent their ability to lever up at this point, so they need to get and seek amendments there. So what the what the progress is on that front, I think investors will be asking about for sure. Mm-hmm. And for those that have been more silent, perhaps on the the passage of the SBCAA, I think they'll continue to get questions about what their plans, particularly as we've seen some others move forward um, and get the approval and and get some reaction from the rating agencies. So. I think for those that have been filing on it, investors will be pushing for a little bit more information on what those BDCs plan to do. Yeah, should be interesting to follow. Um, and back to the point of uh, credit ratings, um, you know, is there what's the importance of BDCs being rated investment grade versus uh, sub investment grade, if if any material uh, importance? Sure. Well, I think access to unsecured funding is the most critical aspect of that. So to the extent they can get an investment grade rating, they uh, increase increase their funding flexibility on that front and certainly can attract more investors like insurance companies and and other um, investment managers. Um, And so I think those BDCs that are investment grade rated tend to have a bit more funding flexibility in our view. They have more unsecured funding in their capital structure, um, which does, I think, position them well to the extent that there is some disruption in the capital markets down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, to what end, just in terms of um, what what kind of recovery their creditors could see, you know, in a worst case scenario? Well, it's more that, for example, Aries Capital has 80% plus of their funding is unsecured at this point, but they have significant borrowing capacity on their secured facilities. So mm-hmm. to the extent they're, you know, they're not having, not finding, you know, access to the unsecured markets to be economic mm-hmm. for whatever reason during a period of time, they can mm-hmm. easily refinance an unsecured maturity mm-hmm. with capacity on their secured revolver. So that gives them, I think, some more flexibility versus another BDC who may be all secured funded and not have as much uh, capacity and or may need to seek other methods um, of refinancing secured debt outstanding. Mm -hmm. So do you think that if some BDCs, especially those whose uh, cost of capital may go up, um, might look at newer or more creative ways of structuring themselves that we haven't seen or, or, you know, Do you expect that their cost of capital could go up in a way that might force them to act? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. We haven't seen much in the way, if anything, in the way of issuance since the passage of the SBCAA. So it'll be interesting to see who kind of reopens the public market and what kind of economic access they get. So what kind of execution they should, they get, I should say, from a pricing standpoint. Mm-hmm. So I think that will be very telling um, in thinking about their cost of funds longer term. But also, I think if we see some of these BDCs who want to lever up, um, I think they will start to rotate their portfolio into more first lien positions. And so wouldn't be surprised to see a bit of a tick up in secure debt outstanding for some of these BDCs. And so I think we could see more SPV structures um, get added to the capital structure. So, um, you know, bankruptcy for remote facilities um, that, that just have a borrowing base, and or we might see the reintroduction of CLOs um, for some of these guys. I think we saw more of that as part of the funding prior to the crisis, um, but it is proven to be a cost-efficient um, source of funding, particularly for those who are looking to finance just first lien investments, and so we might see some more CLO activity out of the BDC space as well. Interesting. Um, and one, one last thing, you mentioned uh, competition in this space, uh, that BDCs are facing from direct lenders, uh, especially in the middle market where they do their business. Um, uh, you know, we, we've seen some headlines and, and some communication from the federal government about uh, 
relaxation of leverage lending guidelines for banks, relaxation of the Volcker rule. Have, have you heard, been hearing anything from BDCs about um, seeing more competition from regulated entities or, not, or banks? Sure. Not really. Not at all, actually. And I think um, even before the crisis, I think certainly banks were in the space incrementally more, but I don't think it was significantly more. I don't think that's what necessarily drove some of the some of the growth in this sector. I think it it's, was pullback from some of the other um, investment managers like hedge funds and things like that that drove some more of the growth um, in this sector. So I, I don't think we're expecting some of the loosening of regulatory uh, oversight of some of the banks to have any kind of meaningful impact on the competition in the BDC sector. Got it. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Megan. Uh, appreciate you taking the time. Anytime. Thanks so much. Thanks.